Thank you, Miss Angela. Appreciate that beautiful song. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 112. We turn there tonight. And our, uh, our summer is an exciting summer. I don't know if summer's officially started, but just from the announcements and all that we're looking forward to, it's going to be a great summer. And so if you were thinking your summer might be lacking some, some zest, just buckle your seatbelt and hang on for the ride. It's going to be a great summer. Excited about what God's going to do and um, having the interns here, the neighborhood Bible time and um, everything in between, our, our monthly outreach. And, and, you know, other people have summer breaks as well. And oftentimes the change in schedule gives them more time to, to be in church. And so thankful that we can uh, be be uh, strategic in reaching, reaching our community. Psalm 112. So if you would stand with me, please, if you found uh, that psalm, we'll read it and get into tonight's message. Psalm 112. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord and delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish." Just before we pray, I want to read verse 1 again. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Thank you and be seated. Lord God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight, uh, being at church. Uh, Lord, as Brother Mooney prayed, this is our oasis, uh, Lord, in our week. It's a place where we can be uplifted, Lord, to be around friends, family. Lord, would you meet with us, we ask. Would you let this psalm, these words, minister to our heart tonight? Lord, we need you. We declare that just by being here tonight. We need you. And I just thank you for those that have kept the divine appointment with you first and foremost in their life. Thank you and pray that you bless them greatly for their love and their faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thankful for the privilege to preach tonight. Pastor and Ms. Ingram are away with their children. This week was specially designed for them to spend time with their, their children. And I'm glad they can do that and invest in their family. They're, they're busy and full schedule. So anytime they can get away. And, and so you have me tonight. So, uh, but pastor will be preaching Sunday. So you got something to look forward to, right? So as we look at Psalm 112, I really, the first verse is, you could spend a whole message talking about the description there of the man in that verse. I've titled this message, Let's Be 
that man. And we're going to look at some wonderful characteristics in the, in the uh, psalm here. If we uh, give our attention to the last verse of Psalm 111, look at verse 10. That, that might be right across the page from you or on the same page. And, but it reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. And so then you start off Psalm 112 about a particular man. And this man has the fear of the Lord. So we already see, we're going to see what a wise man is and does. Psalm 111, reading that, and we'll give some attention to that, that really speaks of God's wonderful works. It, it lists His power, His might, His love, His faithfulness. But then Psalm 112, in a sense, kind of like the, the moon, the moon reflects the light from the sun, 112 is a reflection of a man's life of his God. And I hope that we can bring that out tonight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. This man fears the Lord. He delights greatly in God's commandments. This fear that we are introduced to, that we read about here, right here in verse 1, is a reverence for Almighty God. For a long time, I had no idea what that fear meant. Like many trying to learn the word and what, it, what its meaning is, is maybe being scared or uh, impending judgment. Uh, you're harnessed. You're frozen. You can't move forward. You don't move to the side. You don't flinch. It's like the elementary teacher you have nightmares about, right? That's not our God. That's not the kind of fear that we're to have for our God. It is reverence, and He is almighty, and He does bring judgment to those that rebel against Him. But this fear, this reverence is not crippling. This fear for God doesn't put you in bondage. This fear that He is talking about is a reverence that places us in a father-child relationship with the God of heaven. Do you know when we fear God, we get to experience God and experience His great love for us? This man who's fearing the Lord, if I could say, he's a very happy person. He delights in God's presence. He delights in God's commandments. And he finds joy in serving God. Just right there in verse 1. Does that describe your relationship with God? Do you delight in God's presence? Do you delight in being able to obey? Do you find joy in serving Him? You know, cheerful obedience is really the only acceptable obedience. If we become reluctant or hesitant in obeying God, we're disobedient. And then like a loving father to his child, God will correct us. But, you know, we are truly loyal to God when we take pleasure in obeying his commands. If we see ourselves here, like if we see ourselves in verse one, and, and I would say that if a person did, it would not be of arrogance, but it would cause us to rejoice because any human being that finds himself delighting in God, finding pleasure in obeying his commandments, full of joy to serve the Lord, that's God's work in our lives already. 
And there would be no way to extol self. We wouldn't lift self up. We would be praising God for his work in us to bring us to such a place of submission. So as I titled the message, let's be that man. In verse one, we're challenged already to be a person. I say man, woman, boy, girl, young, old, wherever we fall to fear the Lord and delight greatly in his commandments. In verse 2 and in verse 6, we see some likenesses in those two verses. Verse 2, it says, His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Verse 6, Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. His seed. It gives the idea of procreation. Children in a home. Children in a family. And I've seen where people may not have the uh, may not have the ability to have children or God doesn't give them children, but they're willing to take someone else and treat them like their own son or daughter and invest in them, lead them to Christ and raise them. We were just over here in a teacher's meeting talking about leaving a legacy. And I was using Dr. Childs as an example and how he and Pastor Ingram are not blood relatives in the sense of earthly relationships, but they're adopt- they've adopted each other and when, when the father goes into heaven, he leaves a legacy in who he's invested in. And so this seed, this, this everlasting remembrance, it gives us the idea that a God-fearing man is one who seeks to leave a legacy of God-fearing men. They will be strong. It's a promise. Look at verse 2. Uh, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. You know, man, if we choose to fear God, if we choose to have a, a reverential respect and love and devotion for God, you know, he promises that our families will be mighty upon the earth. This doesn't mean they're going to be the president of the United States or a world leader, but here's what it does guarantee. You will have influence. And that's what our world needs. We need people in our homes going out with influence. It may be a large influence, a large uh, uh, leadership place, or it could be small. The size doesn't matter. The fact that a young man, young woman, mother or father can have influence in their community where they live and where they work. That's might. That's influence for Christ. That's what he's saying. This man, his seed shall be mighty upon the earth. I don't know about you, but when I've, some of us, when, we've, when we're younger, we don't think about the great vision that God has. God has a great vision for this man. Your children, when you're gone, they're going to be your legacy. What kind of legacy are we leaving? They will have an area of influence. Hey, listen, men like these, men like these that uh, have a generation of uprightness in their home, these men that will not be moved, that when they pass off from this earth will have an everlasting remembrance. Can I just say, these men are our true heroes. Memorial Day is around the corner. And we'll be reminded of the great sacrifice that many military men and women made. They gave their life. So that America could stay free. Fought socialism, tyranny. And I'm humbled to read Medal of Honor citations and awards that you, you can find these on the internet. And just the true heroism of someone going to the... An impossible task or just an unbelievable 
event to save the life of their fellow soldier or Marine. And they are heroes in a sense. But the true heroes is a man who fears God. It's a man who delights in God's commandments. Listen, God's not looking for our physical prowess. In the battlefield, it takes that. Those men agonize in training. God can do far more with us when we're submissive. He wants to use us. Far more than earning a medal in the battlefield, God wants to perform the impossible in your life and in my life. That's, a, that's the greatest honor. That is the greatest honor any man, person, boy, girl, or woman could have is that God would use them to perform the impossible. You want to be in the halls of merit, the, the legion of the mighty? Fear God. Delight in His commandments. And I in no, mean, in no means want to downplay the upcoming, it's not a holiday, it's a remembrance, a memorial, because those are important. But I've learned the greatest desire a man can have is to love his Lord and leave a legacy of people that love their Lord. Men like these in these verses of Psalm 112, these are men that are committed to God no matter the cost. I believe sometimes it's, I don't know if this is, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's wrong to say this, sometimes I wonder if it's easier for a man to run into the nest, a machine gun nest, or to stand tall at work for his God. Sometimes you feel like they're both impossible. But God honors men who are committed to him no matter the cost. In verse uh, Six, it talks about an everlasting remembrance. Men who fear God and delight in His commandments, their lives and their death allow us to remember them and remember how they followed Christ. I think I said this in the teacher's meeting. It's like these men and their lives that honored the Lord provides fuel for our souls to strive on just like they did. Isn't it a sweet blessing? To hear a son or a daughter say these words about someone in their life, maybe a dad, maybe a mama, maybe a grandparent, maybe a pastor, and says, they say these words or something like this. He is or he was the godliest man I know. Wow. That's sweet to hear. Even greater to hear when we get to heaven if we've ran our race well for Jesus Christ to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in now into the joy of the Lord. To have an inheritance of an unblemished name, to have children who live righteously, children who excel at being a saint, that's good stuff. That's a hero. In verses 3 and 9 of our text, it reads, wealth is, wealth, wealth is, I'm trying to put two words together. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Verse 9, he hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. Wealth and riches, does that mean money? Maybe. Possibly, but when a man who fears the Lord and delights in his word... He is often possessed with a heart that is fully content with God and His love. 
Money cannot compete with that, nor power, nor a big bank account. Nothing, nothing can equal the love of God that a man experiences when he's in a a true relationship with God. That is the epitome of godliness with contentment is great gain. We have the same words in these two verses. His righteousness, his righteousness endureth forever. When you read that, you're thinking, man, there's only one, there's only one attribute that, that can be assigned to, and that's Jesus. That's God. He's the only one that his righteousness endureth forever. And I would agree with you. Oftentimes when wealth comes in, the gospel may go out, but not so with a man who's blessed by the Lord. His riches do not destroy his holiness, nor his humility. His character stands the test. He overcomes the temptations of wealth. But when it talks about the righteousness is imputed, it means the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is imputed to him, to the man. It's God's righteousness. Think about that. He's the only one that can lend. That's not even lend. He imputes his righteousness to this man. So that when God views this man through the relationship he has with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's righteous. Righteous. No other than Christ can do this. And we get to have the honor to reflect his righteousness back to him and to others. And if that wasn't enough, knowing you can't keep it, it's by his grace that he maintains it. It's all Christ. His righteousness endureth forever. In verse 4, we see even greater attributes of this. Now, this is, this, I've got to remind us, this is humanity. This is man. This is the reflection of a godly man of his Lord. This man that fears the Lord. This man that greatly delights in God's commandments. In verse 4, under the upright, there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Listen, there's going to be dark days in the life of, of this man. He's going to experience sickness and sorrow, poverty. He might even experience a decline in his health because of emotional stresses from family situations, a job situation, a, 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 a very serious sickness in the home. He may encounter where people falsely accuse him of something he did not do, just, just to name a few. Gloom sets in. But this man, this upright man, knows that the Lord is his comfort. God's light will shine abroad in his heart once again. He waits for God to shine his light because he knows it will come again. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. This man... In verse 4, he's gracious, he's full of compassion, and he's righteous. You know these same words are used of God in the, in the previous psalm, Psalm 111, 4. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Then it says of this lesser, this man, this human, he is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. <laughs> he's simply a copy of a great original. The upright man is gracious. What does that mean? He's full of kindness. He isn't sour. He's not rude. He's not mean-spirited. 
He's gracious. He's courteous to his friends. He's kind to the needy. He forgives those who are in error. He seeks the good to all men and for all men. This man is full of compassion, the Bible says. That means he feels tenderly for others. He has pity. He helps people in their time of trouble. He's kind. He knows how to be sympathetic when they are experiencing sorrow. The Bible tells us this man is righteous. That means he, in his dealings with other people, he always does what's right. He obeys what's right. He doesn't defraud his neighbor. In fact, he'll go the second mile for his neighbor. You know where such men are found? Church. God's house. Men like these are rare. But they don't have to be. With God's power, with man's submission, we can possess the qualities, this character of the man in Psalm 112. In verse 5, it tells us that he guides his affairs with discretion. That word discretion really means to, to rightly judge. If you could think of a judge who's maybe sitting in a courtroom and you know this judge and you know that he's, he's really as best that he can, he is blind to any outside influence. He, he sees the situation for what it is. He always lands on truth. He, he always makes the right decision with what he sees and with what he knows. That's the kind of man we have here. He drives his affairs, meaning his, his accounts, his relationships, his life. He drives them. They, he drives them. They don't drive him. We went to the men's advance where we were challenged with prior commitment versus uh, current emotion. A man who guides his affairs with discretion rarely is driven by current emotion. His commitments to doing, his commitments to God, his family, his church, truth is what drives him to organize his affairs. We use these words today. He keeps his house in order. That means his financial accounts. And here's where I make the plug. If you have trouble with your finances, sign up for the financial counseling that our church offers. You might say, well, I do good. What if, you wanted to, what if you could do great at managing your money? Would you want to be not just good, but great? If you live paycheck to paycheck, that's not honoring God. You need to sign up for financial counseling. It's awesome. It'll help you a great deal. But this man, uh, people, people, are, people are gaining momentum in their personal life because the money is just the litmus to what's going on in your heart. The money's not the problem. We are. You get spiritual help while you get financial help. That's a win-win all the way around. So um, if you need help with your finances or if you just want a checkup, you go to the doctor. Like some, 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 people, some people spend a lot of time at the doctor getting all kinds of checkups. How about get a financial checkup and just see? Because one day you're going to die and there's going to be people left with your money and they may not honor the Lord with it. They may go buy a Corvette and crash it, and there went your money. So anyway, this man keeps his house in order. His life at the time of his death is in order for those he will leave behind. He's thrifty with his spending. He's not impulsive. He considers the consequences if he doesn't keep his affairs properly aligned. This man, when he's faced with difficult decisions, 
He's righteous in His judgment. He doesn't back down from difficulty or making the hard decisions. This man who guides his affairs with discretion can be trusted to always land right and do right. Not only can he transact business with God, he does good business with others. Verses 7 and 8, we'll put these together. The Bible says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. First person that came to mind when reading that about evil tidings and the heart is fixed, he's trusting in God, his heart is established, was Job. Job was, a, as far as we knew, not a perfect man or of sinless perfection, but he'd not done anything to invite the tragedy that befell him in a single day. He lost all of his children. They died. He lost all of his wealth. And his wife, who was spared, was so bitter and so hurt from the great tragedy that she said these words to Job. Why don't you curse God and die? And we know Job, in the, essentially at the end of the book, he just covers his mouth. Doesn't say a word. This man who'd wished himself to not even been born. Asked God to take his life. But Job was fixed, trusting in the Lord. Some homes and some people, the least bit tragedy, the smallest crises, a negative kind of crises, will just rock their boat. They're not fixed. I was thinking about this word fixed and and. I had, had a good illustration I wanted to share with you. Brother Yusuf Baker builds guns. And he, you get him talking about building guns, you have to call a timeout. Because he, he, he knows so much about guns and the mechanisms and the, the railings and the scopes and the triggers. And, um, you know, he can, take a, he can take a three and a half pound rifle and turn it into seven pounds. And you're, you're going to feel like Inspector Gadget when he's done with your, your uh, machine gun. And, uh, but it, that's his, his forte. He's just really, he, he's very knowledgeable. So he showed me this, um, this scope on his recent gun. And when you look into the scope, it's got a, a, an upside down V, a Chevron. The Marines know what a Chevron is in the military. So it's upside down V. Well, um, this, it, it never turns off. It's always on. It's always red. And here's the cool thing about scopes like that. You don't have to close your non-dominant eye. You can keep both eyes open. So, you know, military and police and, and those that kill bad guys, um, they can keep both eyes open. And so when they're doing whatever they're doing to keep you and I safe, um, wherever that chevron or that upside down V goes, that's where the bullet goes. It doesn't move. You don't even have to think about it. It's fixed. It's stationary. You can jostle it around. And unless you really do some serious damage, you can pick that thing up. And you're a, you're a dead on bullseye. Good day for you. Bad day for the guy on the receiving end. But that's fixed. It never moves. You can trust it. You can count on it. When you pull it up, you're looking. He's there. And I'm not trying to bring God down to the level of a scope and a rifle. But I think we get the picture is that his heart is fixed. Wherever he looks, he rises above his circumstance and he finds God. 
He's, he trusts God. He knows God's sovereignty is at work. Even when, like Job, your world is falling apart, he's able to not necessarily pull himself up by his bootstraps, but he's able to see above the circumstance and find God and see what God's doing. One pastor commented on the life of Job. It merely, and here, this is the pastor's words of a commentary, it merely underscores the importance of trusting God's purposes in the midst of suffering because suffering, like all other human experiences, is directed by the perfect divine wisdom. In the end, the lesson learned was that one may never know the specific reason for his suffering, but one must trust in a sovereign God. That's the real answer to suffering. Now, I don't think that in verse 7, the evil tidings may, may not always mean calamity, but it could just mean bad news. It could mean false accusations. You're doing right at work, and someone is assaulting you with words or building a case against you. You can be fixed and steadfast upon your Lord. This kind of man who can do that, he has learned through the years and through his experience, could be young, could be old, but he has confidence in God. He's not a rolling stone. He's a pillar in his church. He is solely reliant on God. His faith has made him steadfast and unmovable. The verse talks about seeing his desire upon his enemies. This man fights a good fight of faith. He's looking for victory that comes through Jesus Christ. But when it comes to his enemies, he's not after private revenge. He's like Jesus. He even desires good to be upon his enemies. He wants his enemy to experience the salvation of Jesus Christ just like he did. And see God bring him victory in his own life. And before we finish up here with this final verse, I want to look at verse 10, and then we're going to look at one small section of verse 9. But in verse 10 really brings the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. Because verse 10 tells us that the wicked shall see it and be grieved. And what this tells us is that righteous men, when in the company of wicked men, will bring about conviction and condemnation into their life. Not that they're trying to, not that that's their sole mission, but when you fear God, when you delight in his commandments, people around you that hate God, the unsaved, the wicked people, you bring conviction to them. They even have to recognize your love, your reverence for God. They'll want to grind you to dust just like the Pharisees wanted to grind Jesus to dust. That's why they gnashed with their teeth. They wanted him defeated, dead. They maligned him. They put together a kangaroo court. They were full of wrath and envy. And they... They killed him. The truth is, he laid down his life. No one took it from him. Jesus Christ laid down his life for the unjust. And so great of a gulf between wicked man and righteous man, it's almost like the description in Luke 16 where you see the, the righteous man, Lazarus, who is with Abraham in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man who's in hell, He's wanting his tongue quenched. He's, he's in torments. And Abraham says, listen, this gulf, it's fixed. We're here. You're there. You can't come here. We can't go there. And unless a wicked man finds salvation, that's his position. Not that God wants to condemn them to hell, but that they spurn God's great love and his salvation for them. The wicked don't need to die the eternal death. God has made a way for them to experience forgiveness and freedom 
and a love without boundaries. But as we close in verse 9, look at these words. His horn shall be exalted with honor. His horn shall be exalted with honor. Pastor Ingram says this often. God will honor what we honor. And as we have said again and again from verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His horn shall be exalted with honor. His kindness and his love and his generosity are essential to his godly character. God honors this man because this man has honored God. He's done this by showing his love for his neighbor. This man treats people better than they deserve. For that is how God has treated him. God honors this kind of man. God honors and exalts him for his humility. And has proven, this man has proven to be a steward of all that God has placed in his care. His horn shall be exalted with honor. I don't know how God has spoke to you this evening through this man we read in Psalm 112. But I title this message, Let's Be That Man. I look at this and think that's a tall order. That's impossible, and it is. But this man reflects his God. And all he asks is for us to fear him, and delight in His commandments. There may be an area in your life where you are thinking or seeing yourself and, and you would say, God's blessing here. I, I sense victory over here. But then you may be thinking, over here, this area of my life's deplete of God's grace. It's, it's an area of my life I've not turned over to God. There's a, a sin, a besetting sin that is hindering me. There's, there's an attitude that I've not let go of. God wants this to be you. He's just waiting for us to lay down our arms, wave the flag of surrender, and let Him have our life. Would you stand with me, please, as Brother Redmond comes to the piano?